0: You're listening to Doing Quarter Life podcast with Amy McMillan and Becky Ward.
1: Where we talk about doing your 20s in the 2020s. Hey hi guys. guys. Oh my god! What? <laughs> we well I said
0: hey and you said hi. Hi. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> Woohoo!
1: We're in the same room. I know,
0: can you believe it? It's been so long.
1: But hopefully now we can be back on schedule a little bit um, with our tings.
0: Yes. So, welcome to episode four, everybody. So, at the end of our previous episode, we did mention that we'd be doing Beauty as Power as our next podcast topic. However, with all the recent developments in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement over the past few weeks, we decided it was more important to put this on hold. And we've been using the time in between our last upload to instead really absorb information, educate ourselves and do a hell of a lot of self-reflecting as well. And we'll continue to be doing this. And in this episode, we wanted to have a really open, frank conversation about everything that's been going on, the things we've been learning and the
1: actions we'll be taking following the death of George Floyd on the 25th of May. We put some questions to our followers this week, which I'll bring up sort of when it's relevant throughout. But one of the ones that we asked was, have you been more actively anti-racist since the death of George Floyd, and unsurprisingly, ninety-five percent said yes. And I hope the five percent were just either so anti-racist before that they haven't need to amp it up, which should have definitely been the case, or they've just done fucking nothing out of it. So I don't know what their standpoint is on it. But um, even though racism has been going on forever, for whatever reason. For good and for bad, it's really taken hold at the minute um, with this movement. My good news this week corresponds to the Black Lives Matter movement in terms of progress, um, and it's just that the BBC has dedicated hundred million pounds to diversify its content, which I think is really great. Um, and they're going to they put in place three tests for diversity, for the output, meaning that each programme that goes out now will have to qualify for at least two of the tests, and they include diverse storylines or portrayal on screen, diverse production teams and talent, and diverse-led production companies. And I think, like, more than anything, it's just going to lead to a lot better television because I don't know why um, it's been considered to be inclusive of everyone's experience up until now when we have barely any, um, like, writers, black writers, black ta- black talent on screen. Like, I think having a black actress or black actor in a programme is literally, like, the tiniest section of diversity because, if anything, they're probably just portraying a storyline that's been written for white people. Um, and I think nothing shows this better than i may destroy you which is out on bbc at the minute which i don't think you've seen amy have no you?
0: i haven't seen it i need to um yeah
1: but i'm watching that at the minute i think i'm on episode episode eight because that's all that's out at the minute um they're doing that really annoying thing where you can't just like
0: binge the whole lot binge, in one guy. yeah
1: binge the whole thing um but um that's written by the lead actress michaela cole if you haven't seen it And it's crazy because I feel like um, this is one of the first times I've seen, I think this is definitely the first time I've seen this many black people in a show, but also um, in a way which isn't directly involving crime, which is just kind of, like, laughable when you think about it, but also really sad.
0: Yeah, I think um, that's particularly typical of, like, BBC dramas as well. I see a lot more representation on, like, Netflix and um, yeah Amazon Prime platforms, but I think, yeah, BBC did yeah. have a lot of work to do in terms of diversity. I think it's
1: because, like, I still think BBC is so middle class. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd love to bloody work for the BBC, <laughs> but I don't think I'm ever <laughs> going to make their standard. But, like... Yeah, this this was a real wake-up call to me because I think it was also coming at the time of the Black Lives Matter movement. Like, it was a big part of my um, education was watching this show and, like, kind of, like, reacting to my reactions to what I was seeing. Like, um, there's a lot of black people to the point where you start to feel a bit, like, oh, there's hardly any white people in this, and and you can see why watching it as a black person, if you were to watch the same in reverse, you just kind of, like, feel so, like, hugely underrepresented in what you're seeing, but then that's, like, their everyday norm. Like, this is, like, a one programme that I could tell you has loads of black people in it, but then I could, like, turn over and see a million other programmes with mostly white people mm-hmm. in it, and that's just, like, the reality. So, yeah... Um, So yeah, that was a great example. And hopefully we continue to get good, diverse storylines and just like um, more true to reality, especially of London. Like how ridiculous that we have such like white platform when London's one of the most diverse cities in the world.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. And I think like even in terms of we've talked about representation being so important in the past, but I think also as a consumer, it's so important for white people to be watching TV shows where there are, like, complex, whole black yeah. characters. Yeah. Because so often we see TV shows where you just have, like, the token black character and yeah. they're not a really, like, three-dimensional... Because it's written
1: by a white person yeah. who doesn't have any black friends. Like, yeah, exactly literally. that.
0: So I think um, whoever you are, it is so important to be consuming that kind of content.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um i think i think that is one of the things that you take away from this as well like i think people will genuinely watch it and be surprised by the diverse roles in that piece and it's because it's written by michaela mm-hmm. and probably like about friendships that she has and everything like that so- So as this podcast is a reflection on everything we've learned since the death of George Floyd and sort of discussion of what we feel white people should now know if they didn't know before, I thought a good place to start would be to chat about white privilege and just give a quick definition of it and examples of how it shows up and... I think the best definition that I've seen is just to say that white privilege doesn't mean to say that your life has been easy. It just means that your skin colour isn't one of the things that's making it hard. And I think that's one of the most important things to highlight um, in the BLM movement for white people, because I think that's why a lot of All Lives Matter people show up, because they just don't understand the principle of white privilege. And they hear the term, and all all that they hear in it is privilege, And their white fragility shows up, and for whatever reason, they might feel very underprivileged in every other aspect of their life, such as class, or disability, or health. And while no one's diminishing that, they're saying that you do have benefits from being white. And I think for a lot of white people, like, the term white privilege is very new. Like, some may have literally only heard it since the beginning of this movement after the death of George Floyd. I hadn't heard it earlier than five years ago. I don't know, maybe I'm, like, super ignorant.
0: Yeah, I think I first heard of it when we were, like, in sick form, so that was still, what, like, 2012 kind of time.
1: And I don't know if it's a new term or if I was just hidden from it till I was, like, older, Um, but I think a lot of people, that, as our parents' generation, wouldn't have heard the term until just now, and I think a lot of them switch off when they hear the word privilege because they're, like, almost offended by it. They're performing their white fragility, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, they're offended by it because, and I get it, because a lot of people have had really shit lives, irrespective of the colour of their skin, Um, but yeah, the distinction is to make that, like, it doesn't mean to say that you are having a good quality life. Yeah,
0: no one's attacking your struggle, Yeah, it's just pointing out that your skin colour brings with it certain privileges that a black person wouldn't have.
1: Um, Yeah, so, like, good examples of that include I don't really think about race. I definitely don't think I ever, ever, ever had to think about being white until, like, I chose to think about it when debates like this kind of came to me through social media mostly. Or maybe if something really controversial happened... Then I'd start thinking about it a bit, but then it would dissipate and I wouldn't think about it for a long time. And I think um, not thinking about the colour of your skin is literally, like, the definition of white privilege.
0: Yeah, well, it's because we're so conditioned into feeling like we are the norm. Like, yeah, ever since a young age, you grow up around you with, like everyone in the media, anyone you know in a big position of power, like, they are all white. So you just are conditioned into thinking that white is normal.
1: Yeah, it's like... it's like um, We have chatted about this before, but, like, our first introduction to it was, like, Mallory Blackman's mm-hmm. book. Um, and things like skin colour types, like, saying that skin colour is just white, which is just so bonkers when you think about it, like, now. But at the time, it like, I don't... I honestly can't fathom how... Uh, like, production companies were so white washed, whitewashed, whitewashed yeah. literally, um, and then makeup, um, hair products, just like normal hair products in invert commas, is just white hair products. Yeah. Um
0: Well, I know even there's been conversations going on within the hairdressing industry at the moment that I think they're like MVQ level where they actually learn how to do hairdressing it doesn't include any sort of module on, like, afro or black hair. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's, like, literally from the point of your education about yeah. hair, you're being told that, like, black is other and that isn't normal.
1: Yeah. And then other another couple of examples include, I don't have to check whether my ethnicity will cause problems when travelling. And then the final one, I know the police are there to protect me. Um... And I think that brings us into our question of um, why it's not just an American problem, because a lot of the reactions that we had going to the Black Lives Matter protests on Facebook and things that I was seeing being shared that were just completely ridiculous were saying, why are there a load of protests happening in England about an American issue, about the death of an American man? And I'm like... Because oh. it extends so much further than But, that. like, it, the... Bonkers idea that they literally think this is about one death. Yeah, and in one country. like You, you probably saw people sharing the Lee Rigby thing. Yeah. Um, and what happened to Lee Rigby was absolutely horrendous. But the fact of the matter is he was killed in a terrorist incident. That is a completely unrelated subject matter. And also
0: Lee Rigby's mum has actually released a statement saying please don't bring, bring him into yeah. it. Yeah, literally. And yet yeah, that's the only name it's, that like counter-protesters can ever seem to conjure up because yeah. it is such a like Rarity. separate, isolated incident, whereas there's a genuine pattern of behaviour when it comes to police brutality against black people.
1: Yeah. I think there's a few reasons why we can say that it's an American problem to a lot of British people in the sense that, firstly, they're police system is bonkers, like, irrespective of race, it's fucking bonkers. The shit that the police can get away with there, like, on a daily basis, let alone... Like, I think when someone gets killed here by police, it's always plastered all over the news, because it happens, like, once in a blue bloody moon. Yeah. Like, it might happen, like, once every six months or something, like, I'm sure there is, like, multiple a day in America that they don't even bother covering it, whether they're what it's for, whether they're white or black, they don't even bother covering it half the time because it's just not news because they're allowed to carry guns. And it goes into the whole ludicrousness of the right to carry weapons, which is just a whole other debate that I, like, literally can't give any attention to in my mind because it's so bonkers that they consider that to be a right. Like, I know police is a bit different, but the reason why the police are so gun-happy is because they're permanently paranoid that they're going to get shot by someone else who also has a gun. Yeah. Um,
0: and that kind of... It creates a kind of constant vicious cycle, I Yeah, suppose.
1: Um, and, yeah, so I think, I think the debate is different, but my friend who's American said to me, um, like, the funny thing is, in America it's like, how do we deal with a problem that is so big and so systemic? And then in the UK, it's, but we don't have racism. Mm -hmm. And then that's, that's like, our challenge is literally trying to get people to see racism. Whereas in America, the challenge is everyone can see it. They just don't know what the fuck to do about it because it goes back so far.
0: Yeah, I think also because in the UK, it exists in quite a lot of subtle ways. Like the police... Um, force in our country might not be as kind of overtly racist and gun-happy as the as the US but I mean it still is very much a racist force in our country um, I was reading up on some statistics the other week and I saw that police in England and Wales are three times more likely to arrest a black person than a white person and five more times more likely to use force and we saw um, footage of police using force not that long ago. Um, there was footage of uh, Desmond Mombayarara, who was tasered in front of his literally screaming five-year-old son in Manchester. And I think you were saying it was, like, for disobeying... Lockdown, lockdown rules, rules. When our own
1: government can't obey lockdown and they're not getting tasered, they're yeah. literally still in government, they haven't even lost their job.
0: Like Dominic fucking Cummings, who... I don't even. Know, I don't know where he
1: drove, but he drove somewhere. Yeah. He shouldn't have driven.
0: And he genuinely wrote up the
1: the rules, the rules around
0: lockdown, so that the like irony of, of it is actually laughable. Um, but yeah, we saw footage of him. We also saw footage um, that Wretch 32 shared of his 60 year old dad being tasered by police in his home. No, I saw
1: that video, and it was like <clears throat> really uncomfortable to watch because, like. They justified it, but watching it, I can't understand how it could have been justified. I know we couldn't see around the corner, but I imagine he was just standing at the top of the stairs. And why you'd feel the need to taser someone just for standing at the top of the stairs? Like, this is not America. Like, it is very unlikely that that man has a gun. Like, beyond... Like, possibility, almost, yeah. that that man has a gun. So what are you scared of? What are you going to do, throw a dart at you from the top of the staircase? Yeah, like, exactly. What the fuck? Um, but yeah, and just being elderly, like you say, it's just unnecessary force. I think um, this isn't to eradicate the fact that it's a truth, but I think 90% of the time these people police and just general members of the public will treat black people differently based on implicit bias like they're not they're not aware that they're using more force on a black person I don't think and I don't think they're aware that they're stopping more black people like I don't even think it crosses their mind as as an obvious choice it's just they've been so brainwashed into having these stigmas around certain members of society that they act on it without even realizing that that's what they've digested yeah and it's the same with implicit bias against women like i remember doing a philosophy essay on how um women wait five times longer in a in an emergency room than men because they're they're said to be emotional so it's the same thing it's like oh black people they're violent so we have to treat them with like caution um so I think while it's not to say we don't have a problem we definitely do but I think our biggest problem is that people don't realize they have a problem like they literally don't realize they have a problem our education on racism essentially says it's a thing that happened in America um slavery happened in America and America's did Americans did a really bad thing. They had the KKK. They had the American Civil Rights Movement. Um, And then we just view it from, like, a really... We, like, stood on, like, a little viewpoint watching everything that's happening in America. I don't know why I didn't even think to ask the question of, like, what was our relationship in all this? Because I'm sure if one of us had thought it at the time, like, the (laughs) history teacher would have been sat in a very awkward position of having to tell us, but then explain why it doesn't come under our curriculum, which is crazy. Um, but, so so that's the first reason why I feel like everyone likes to say it's an American problem, because it's literally all that's drilled into you from a young age. Um, but then secondly, like, there is a difference in America. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say that America is more racist, but I think because... Um, things like segregation happened in people's lifetimes that they can remember right now um slavery happened for them on their doorstep not that long ago for us it happened a long time ago on our doorstep and then from that it happened overseas so that allowed British people to create that distance from hundreds of years ago Mm -hmm. by having slave owners here that were ruling over people in Barbados for example and that means that while we were still complicit in black slavery it didn't filtrate into the everyday reality of people in Britain at the time because they weren't seeing it whereas in America they were seeing it up until much more recently um so I do think that will have an effect
0: I think one of the clearest examples that we've seen to prove that racism clearly is an an issue in our country is when we went to the protest um, at the beginning of June. Becky and I both went to the Hoddiston protest, which has since gone literally viral, viral. Um, um,
1: um, which is like e- extraordinary. For uh, a, but, uh, for uh, it's like comical, <laughs> but also really sad. Yeah, um, like. If you don't know Hodderston, it's literally the most unextraordinary place you'll ever go in your life. Um, I don't know if I could describe it. It's just, it's very unhappening.
0: Yeah, I think, like, I wasn't too surprised by what we saw there. Basically, when we arrived, the protesters were met by kind of a huge group of EDL, um white middle-aged men basically who were kind of hurling insults at the protesters the whole time they were there basically defending or claiming to defend a war memorial in the center of town which
1: but we didn't even know existed no literally no one here. had
0: any interest <laughs> i've in.
1: lived around here for like most of my life and i've never even noticed that fucking no war memorial. and i've been in
0: hodderston about 20 million times like i didn't even <laughs> know it was a thing but like no one had any interest in making any sort of advance to that war memorial um and also if they did think that that was the case they could have easily stood around it peacefully until anyone did make any kind of move towards it but instead they just literally caused a scene the whole time they chucked racist abuse sexually harassing abuse um fat phobia fat phobia and this was like during really inappropriate times as well, like, when we were all kneeling um in silence with George Floyd, while, was, like, speakers, as well, like, really young speakers, some yeah. of them were talking. It was really intimidating. I don't know
1: how, as a, as a man, especially an older man, how you could heckle a child um, while they're speaking up on, like, injustice. It's just embarrassing, like you said. Like, if they'd shown up with a genuine, honest in- intention to um make sure that nothing was getting vandalised, then they would have seen that wasn't happening and they wouldn't have been shouting down like a child. Like I literally saw I think she was probably ten or something and mm-hmm. she was speaking and she was like almost in tears getting down because she was getting shouted at by this angry mob and like I had tears in my eyes for the majority of the thing, not to be like centering around my emotions of it 'cause I'm not I'm not here to talk about how it made me feel. But I'm just saying like it was fucking intimidating, even as a white person, knowing like that shit wasn't getting targeted at me if they were intending to be intimidating in terms of race, but like i still I was still intimidated,
0: yeah, and I think I think while that's like a really clear overt kind of example of racism that we witnessed, we were talking before about how like it's not all about just separating them and like, pointing the finger and being like, you're the racist, you're the problem. Actually, they are a symptom of, like, such a larger issue in the UK, and there's probably things that every single one of us are doing to contribute and perpetuate that problem. Like, we need to question ourselves, what are we doing in our everyday lives that allows men like that to... Exist. Exist, and to to air their, like, their viewpoints so comfortably and aggressively... ...in the streets like that, like...
1: I think... I was, li- I was listening really hard to what they were actually saying because I arrived late and I was genuinely, like, confused. I was like, what? what what's this about? Um, and I think there was a divide between a few that I, I would, like, say that a few were overtly racist. The majority, I think, were there under the intention to basically defend the statue but they felt like we were saying white lives didn't matter by saying black lives matter that is the biggest obstacle to the black lives matter movement Mm -hmm. is that they feel left out of something and it goes back to the idea that they haven't had it easy and they don't get it they're not seeing like everything that they're getting handed to them on the basis of the colour of their skin so they're saying like why are you only saying their life matter when my life matter?" like Everybody already knows white lives matter. It is written into every law that has ever been passed in this country. It's written into the education system. It's written into, like, the police system, health system. Everything you can imagine has been put in place to support the fact that white people matter because that was who it was written by and made for. The problem is no black or ethnic minority person existed in a position of power hundreds of years ago which meant that the very foundations of our society were not built for them and we have to kind of undo hundreds of years of legislation which have basically worked against members of society including women as well um and I think we wouldn't be having this conversation with those people those men basically wouldn't have shown up if the education was a ra- was there on to show how black people are discriminated against on a daily basis and I'm not excusing their behavior because like you said if if they were genuinely just like ignorant to it they should have just shown up to listen yeah um and I think more than anything a lot of them just wanted to scrap wanted a football fight like Tommy Robinson was advocating that foot- they were a football firm that showed mm-hmm. up and they were ad- advocating football firms to show up and act like they were at a football match that's literally what he said to Black Lives Matter protests um, so yeah they were there for a fight basically yeah. but I think but yeah I think just to basically summarise the question of whether or not it's an American problem I think the distinction is that we have a different problem to America, firstly, um, based on both political setup as well as a different history, um, which make for a different present. Um, but also our education system is based on around the idea that every other place has the problem and we don't. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that... Um, British colonial history doesn't even come up. Not even in terms of slavery, but just in terms of like the expansion of the British Empire, like
0: Yeah, even like colonising America wasn't something that oh, I yeah. didn't learn anything about in school.
1: No, like I fully like I understood that like Australia was part of the British Empire and India was once part of the British Empire and stuff, but like this sounds like the dumbest fucking statement to say ever. But that didn't. It didn't cross my mind for that to be the case. We had to have invaded, yeah, and oppressed a whole uh, like a whole load of people. Like I thought, just like mirac- We just miraculously had ownership over these countries, um, like even like the Falklands. Like we never learnt about the Falklands War. No. And then I was like traveling to South America like two years ago, year and a half ago, and I was in Argentina and they were speaking about the sort of like animosity. Argentinians feel towards Britain for literally, like, taking this island that, like, this was, like, a long, long, long time ago, and the Falklands War, in British defence, was very much supported by the inhabitants of the island, like, they wanted to stay as a British island, but that's the same problem that we see now in Northern Ireland, um, like, they took over Ireland, like, a long time ago, and then, um, now there are a lot of Irish like northern irish people that feel genuinely tied to the british empire but if you take it back to its roots like it wasn't it never belonged to britain Mm -hmm. um same as the falklands but yeah like that's a bit of a tangent and a topic for another day (laughs) um but the point is not only are america and england's racism different but we just haven't been taught around racism in the UK in the same extent that we've been taught about it in America Mm -hmm. the question is to whether it's uh, an American problem to the listeners um, on social media because we kind of wanted to get a reaction to this and obviously it feels like a really obvious question but I kind of just wanted verification on that one and everyone said it wasn't an American problem which at least um, I honestly think that answer could have been different like two months ago yeah Um, and I think Um, people have really woke up to a lot of stuff that is happening and has happened in the UK and their involvement in everything One of the best things that I learnt throughout this um, was one of also the first things I learnt so I've been reading um, Me and My White Supremacy Have you read that?
0: No, I've ordered it. It's Layla Sard, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I ordered the book, but
0: I'm still reading why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. Race,
1: Yeah, and, um, yeah, no, it's really interesting, and what I didn't know about it before was that it was actually done in a series of, like, tweets and social media um, resource um, initially, but then this sort of social media... I think she called it, like, a social media programme, but, like, it was in order to get people thinking about white supremacy online, but it got so much traction behind it that she turned it into a publication, which I think is just, like, incredible for mm-hmm. her. Um, but um, one of the best things that I've learned from... what I learned from that was around the idea of tone policing and even just things like gaslighting and understanding your how your reactions to things can be really harmful um, like I know certainly a lot of people have tone police a hell of a lot of black people around this topic because when especially when it first started happening like I think a lot of all lives matter people constantly like they're constantly tone policing how black people feel about it because they're like well this white person died or well um that's just a problem over there and you're like getting sort of like feeling personally attacked about something um and reacting in a way that's saying like why are you getting angry at me for like it's got nothing to do with me or it's got nothing to do with this country or um whatever and I think I had to check myself on tone policing when I read about it because I'm was like not in that category but say for example there was a lot of social media criticism on um white people for just waking up to it Mm -hmm. which I fully fucking understand don't get me wrong um but I was kind of like I think I think I felt um like so strongly about it that I wanted to like post all the time da 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 And and then when I was seeing all these reactions from say black influencers saying like I don't fucking care for your involvement now where were you a hundred years ago and then I was like oh like that's that burns yeah and like feeling so like oh well I'm only trying to share to my story like um and I I think when I read about tone policing and understanding that like you can't tell a black person how to speak about their oppression like I never saw it I never saw my into my reaction as that, And even though I never verbalised it, like, I never wrote a comment saying, like, how dare you, blah, blah, blah. Like, even just having the mindset that they don't get the right to be angry about this mm-hmm. is such a white privilege thing. Um, I think
0: also it's like when white
1: people feel really triggered and defensive about
0: this kind of stuff, it's usually because we are hearing things that we don't want to hear about ourselves. Like, people are telling us truths that we don't want to accept. So yeah a lot of the time it's not even being put across in an aggressive way yeah we're hearing it aggressively but we hear it aggressively like I don't know if you saw that interview with Piers Morgan and Dizzy Rask oh I've heard about it Um, I've not seen it but like the way that Piers Morgan positioned him as like aggressive and all of this like Lizzy Rascal was literally sitting there like calm as anything but I think white people just get so fucking triggered and like so they they almost like position black people as like these like really aggressive angry people all the time when I mean first up like black people have a right to be angry. angry like we shouldn't even be criticizing that in the first place but I think the kind of like immediate response from a lot of white people is to just label people as angry and then their point gets completely dismissed.
1: Yeah, and I think I think you can tone police any sort of injustice. So I think knowing that now will make me a much better listener to injustices in general. Like I know a lot of men I know tone police me all the time when I talk about sexism. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, it's like the angry feminist thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, like you're an angry feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, hun like I'm just speaking my truth and you're taking it like a, a dagger in the heart yeah. like um anyone can talk how they want basically and um oh, this this is making me think about the Misha B thing did you see the Misha yeah, B yeah. thing yeah um where Talisa
0: um oh my god like say, oh no it was Louis Walter wasn't he? He was it really like, it was Talisa, and overconfident and all this kind of stuff
1: Oh, I think he he might even have said, like, aggressive... I don't... I can't remember off the tip of my tongue, but, like, watching back the Misha B video was so cringy. It was horrible. It was so... and, like, and so glaringly racist that I know that... I don't know if I saw that episode, but I know around that time I would have been still watching X-Factor like I know the series where Little Mix won I didn't watch it to the end like I know that for a fact because I like I didn't see the final or anything but I definitely watched snippets and if I was able to watch that at that time and not see it for what it was that's just like a statement both about how blind I was at that time Mm -hmm. but also how blind the world was at that time Like I, I honestly, well, I'd like to think that if that had happened now, even without this movement, everyone would have just seen it for what it was. Um, But yeah, tone policing is also really important to recognise because it comes from the same implicit biases that cause action as well, such as police stop and search, for example. um, Bianca Williams, the GB runner, um, put up a video on social media and did an article with the times um showing the other day that her experience of getting stopped and searched in london um because her husband is obviously a black man driving like a nice car in an area that the police claim had a lot of gang crime um so basically what they're saying is they suspected the car to be potential involvement with gang crime literally could be off nothing other than the colour of their skin mm-hmm. um little did they know that they were essentially arresting a celebrity um which obviously is both good and bad because it's good that she's now been able to kind of like Bring stick make, to them. yeah machine. and stick her middle finger up at them and be yeah. like actually i'm not i'm not a fucking gang crime yeah. whatever just because i've got money i'm actually like an accredited athlete um, but it's also just fucking
0: sad that that's like the mindset that police obviously have. Like you'd see a black person in a nice car and automatically make that assumption. Like it's dangerous to make yeah, assumptions
1: I like mean, that. Obviously, I don't live in London at the minute, um, and I think police presence in Hertfordshire is like literally so much less. Like so much less. But but that's because it's predominantly white. Yeah, though. that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? Like, but city funding is a lot more than than suburb funding Mm. and I think we see a lot less police but what I was gonna say is like I have never been stopped by the police once in my car and I think statistically that doesn't match up to like how many times I should have been pulled over or like stopped on the street or anything um so yeah like again it's just like opening your eyes to these kind of like biases that cause people's decisions in the daily life and I think it's so good that you and
0: like loads of other white people at the moment are checking themselves in that way like bringing it back to what you were saying about how you've been like checking yourself on tone policing I think like something that's been a really big thing of like self-reflection for me is just like checking my motives of everything I think especially in regards to like doing stuff for the black lives matter movement i've been learning so much online about like white people acting as like saviors and um things like this and i think like i've even caught myself having a tendency to do that like when I, i was talking earlier about the facebook post i put up and like how i was jumping in the comments and talking to everyone and i think i was almost getting this like Feeling about myself, like oh look at me, like I'm I'm doing I'm doing something good here, like I'm saving the day, and actually that's a problem in itself. And I think like sitting back and like checking myself on that and reflecting on it, like it's uncomfortable and it like doesn't feel nice to realize that that's maybe why you acted in that way. But that's where change happens and that's where growth happens. And I think you can literally do that for everything. Like every time you post on social media, question yourself. Am I doing this just to look woke? Am I yeah. uh, like am, am I posting this donation page but did I actually donate? And yeah. if I did donate, did I do it just to rid myself of some white guilt or am I going to consistently support black charities and black businesses? Like ask yourself these questions and they're difficult and they're hard, but it's so important because yeah, then change can happen.
1: Yeah. Um I think as well like our tendency to like get like, I think people have genuinely got excited about this movement, which is, like, a really kind of, like, like, uncomfortable thing for me to think about, because we shouldn't be being excited Mm. that this problem exists, and we have some, like, white people can go to, like, the protests and be like, yeah, and, like, get really buzzed about being an activist, but, like, for black people or, like, ethnic minority people, like, this isn't a buzzing experience that they're having to go out onto the streets to stop people getting killed or stopped or racially profiled or whatever. So I think... Yeah. Um, it was, like, the um, Becky and I went to a second
0: protest um, in Hartford, and that was, like, a much more kind of peaceful sit-down um, protest where there were, like, performances and stuff. But there was one girl who was speaking... And she was saying that when she told some of her friends that she was going to be doing a speech at the protest, they were like, "Oh, good for you!" And she was like, "Well, not really. It's not good for me. (laughs) Like, actually, it's really shit that I have to do this, and it shouldn't even be my place
1: as a black person to be educating other people." White people, yeah. Um, I think going back to learning about tone policing, though, like, and just general, like, I think anything you discover on this, while it's like oh my god, was I this terrible person that actually got offended when a black person said something in a certain way to me that I, like, was offended by it. But, like, I think a lot of the time, well, not always, but a lot of the time, like, no one's a bad person for reacting how they do. It's just a lack of education on understanding everything around it. And, like, anything you uncover in this process is only from trying to better yourself anyway. So I think, like don't put yourself down about stuff that you haven't realised up until now. And yeah, just...
0: I think, like, the guilt and the shame that a lot of white people are talking about at the moment, like, in a way, I think it's a good thing that people are feeling that because it shows that there is a genuine care there. But then what's important is to not dwell on that guilt and shame and, like, consume yourself with the fact that you're a bad person. Like, do something with those feelings and create that change. Start actively unlearning your behaviours and educating yourself I think as long as you're doing something with those feelings then it's fine
1: yeah what would you say was like something that you really learned in this time I think
0: some a a big realisation for me was that racism literally exists in every like area and subculture like so an example I saw um Mary Manderfield who um We went to one of her twerk classes quite a while ago. I've been following her content really closely on social media because she's been making some really amazing videos. And she was saying how... um, ..that there's, like, very little representation of black people among, like, the vegan community. And I was like, God, that's so true. Like, I follow follow quite a lot of vegan accounts on my social media and there's literally, like, no diversity on my feed. And that's, like... a big part of that problem is me. I need to, like, diversify my feed. But also, I just think that, like, there's definitely areas of, like, influencers where um, black people aren't given the same opportunities and so it's the white people that rise to the top. And that got me thinking, like, there were just so many different industries and areas that were, like, having to unpack all the things that were wrong with their industry, like the tattoo industry is another one I follow on on Instagram there's been loads of stuff on there about how like you see very few black people um on instagram pages with tattoos and if there are people with darker skin they'll lighten the pictures to show the tattoos and that means again you're not seeing any representation of like people with darker skin
1: yeah well that was like a like i know it's a slightly different topic but that was a big reason why um black people have been left out of film and modeling for such a long time because white people couldn't be bothered to get an education on lighting for black people um and also couldn't be bothered to employ black people who knew how to light black people um like that was why Noughts and Crosses was so good a series because they had like a really in-depth look at lighting and found a light that was like both amazing for um white and black people but um like it's the same like we just kind of stick to what we're comfortable doing and we don't bother try like diversifying any way. um but yeah that's really interesting I actually like have never even thought about black veganism like yeah you saying that just now has just like woke me up again and that was just like one example there's
0: been so many I've seen like even like there's like a lot of like outdoorsy influencers and like again yeah, they're just all yeah. white like you don't see yeah. like you don't see black influencers can in you of imagine if there was
1: like black people that like to hike i know imagine like, like, like or like not eat meat like that's actually like pretty mental i know it? i know who
0: would have thought <laughs> <laughs> um, but i think that's like our job as consumers as well like because I've seen a lot of people saying stuff about diversifying their feeds, which I think definitely we all need to be doing. But
1: also you can't just, like,
0: go out and just be like, oh, follow her because she's be yeah, like, Yeah, exactly. Oh. And that's... A, I, I watched a really interesting video on it because um, someone was saying that, like, just mindlessly going around following people, like, in the long term achieves absolutely fuck all because you're not really engaged with their content. So then when you see their stuff on Instagram, you're not going to be liking it or supporting it. And the algorithm is just going to push it. Yeah, and all the algorithm will push it so that you never see their content anyway. So that's why it's important to, like, take your time with this stuff as well. Like, think, what areas am I passionate about? If it's, like, veganism, great. If it's fitness, if it's fashion, whatever. And then seek out black influencers that appeal to your interests and your passions and find content made by black creators that speaks to you and then follow them for that reason I think mindlessly following any black person you see is like counterproductive it's just again it's performative you're not actually doing anything you're not you're not there for their content you're not there to support them you're just doing it because it looks good
1: yeah and I think like um that's like I heard a lot of there's been a lot of issues around doing stuff to look good with brands. Um, obviously, the main one was Monroe Bergdoff. She was working with L'Oreal and she was really outspoken about, um, like, Black Lives Matter, essentially, and, like, race. And L'Oreal fired her. And then, and that, then and they, now they're supporting BLM. Yeah, they
0: posted a black square on Blackout um, Tuesday. And then, obviously, everyone was like, what the fuck? Yeah. If, so, basically... Um, they have now apologised um, to her and they have hired her back as someone on, like, their diversity panel or something. I'm surprised you went by. Um I think, to be fair, it was actually quite, like, a refreshing example of how, like, if you call... Call them call out. Call out a brand, yeah. they can then change and then you can then move forward rather than it just being like two sides against each other so I'm as much as like she had every right to decline that request I'm quite glad that she did accept it because I think it just shows that even brands that have been really shitty in the past like you can evolve and change and those like bridges can be built again
1: yeah I think if we were going to talk about um like what white people can be doing going forward one of the things that I think about is supporting um, black people creatively for me is like a really important thing um, and then like an interesting that debate debate that's happened around, like literally in the midst of this is um, two influences that I love like entirely separately of each other are Chidera who's Slumflower mm-hmm. and um, Florence Given and Chidira did a Insta Live the other day, um, and I just happened to catch it um, because she's been having like quite a bit of time off social media because she's found BLM like just overwhelming in the sense that she's just like like white saviorism basically, yeah. um, and also because essentially at this in the middle of all this Florence Givens released her book um, Women Don't Owe You Pretty. And I always thought these two were best of pals, um, I think primarily because Florence Given, like, cites Slumflower a lot and, like, um, she'll, like, reshare her stuff, and Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they have the same agent, um, because I'm I'm pretty sure I found Florence Given's agent one time and they listed Slumflower, so at least if they don't still have the same agent, they did at one point. anyways Slumflower was basically saying um that she gentr- that Florence Given gentrified her swag and now she's become Sunday Times bestseller and I think um while Slumflower did like incredibly well like um yeah like Slumflower's book What Time To Be Alone did like crazy well um and so has a uh, following on book how to get over a boy um which i actually haven't read yet but um they both did really well but i think slumflower's frustration comes from the fact that florence given's book has done better and the only reason that that makes sense is because she is white mm. and also because um like i don't think i don't think Slumflower can really claim ownership over the style which seemed to be a lot of her reasoning she said before What a Time to Be Alone it had never been the case that we'd had a book that was a self-help guide that was illustrated by the same author and was also just kind of like pro-femininity like in the same mainstream way like and that's definitely true in my experience but I just didn't know if I was waking up to feminism when I read that but definitely it was the first book that I came across um, and I'll believe her if she says she was the first because she works in publishing, so she should know. Um, and I th- I think while no-one's taking, taking it away from her that she was the first, um, for someone to do, like, a very similar thing after and get almost more recognition obviously is going to be painful for her. Um, and, like, I've read both books, and I will say they... I think... The style that Florence Given has was undoubtedly heavily influenced by Slumflower. Slumflower went as far as saying if What A Time To Be Alone hadn't been published, Women Don't Owe You Pretty wouldn't have been published. Like, the only person who knows the answer to that is Florence Given. Yeah. Like, I can't speak for whether she had the same idea before or... I mean,
0: she might not even have, like, intentionally intentionally known that she was doing that either I think she yeah. could have been heavily influenced and written a book in the same style without
1: I think she's very aware of the fact that like it looks very similar but I'll back Florence in the sense that I've read both books and I like them I love them both independently of each other and a lot of the like actual written content in Women Don't Know You Pretty is completely different to yeah. um, What A Time To Be Alone but it doesn't remove the fact that I think if um What a Time to Be Alone had been published by a white girl, it would have got even more acclaimed than what it did. Yeah, and
0: I think there is that element of like it being more palatable for a lot of people when it is from a white person and that in itself is problematic. Like even when so when the Black Lives Matter stuff started really kicking off at the end of May, Florence Given was uh like posting quite a lot on her instagram and i was sharing quite a lot of her content she was explaining things in a way that like was making me realize things and was making me question myself and i was like god she's put that really well so i'd share all her content and then i saw a video by someone on instagram and they were like if your way of supporting the black lives matter movement is by posting content by other white people yeah then like what the fuck are you doing you're not amplifying black people's voices at all you're just you're basically saying like here is a better way of me explaining it as a white person yeah
1: but I think Florence is like I've seen her post a lot about not doing that like she's very awake to not wanting to be part of that but also not wanting to be silent to it and Mm. it's definitely like completely within her rights to share her knowledge of the situation but like she did a lot of posts of like don't read mine, read this person, don't read mine and she like also didn't publicise her, like obviously it said her book was coming out on her bio but she didn't put anything in her stories about her book for like at least two weeks and that was like the two weeks leading up to the publication and that's a big sacrifice as like someone who's put into something creatively, like she was so worried that like off the back of BLM she could be bigging up her book that she didn't she just didn't publicise it in the like two weeks. So I think I think um is definitely right. Like I think oh we're just like it's just so blind to us like yeah. the the biases that we have but I think that's why for me what I'd say to my friends and what I'm saying to myself is to like if there's if there's a book by like a white person around a certain topic there's probably a book or there's definitely a book that's as good by a black person Yeah. so I think like just choosing if you're like sat in a library and you're like oh should I read this book or this book like obviously this is a metaphor because who the fuck sits in libraries anymore like absolutely (laughs) no one um (laughs) libraries do not exist anymore Um, but like if you're sat in a metaphorical library and like I'm always on my kindle and I'm like oh what book should I get now like just making the choice of like knowing who the author is and the colour of their skin and like just reading something from them for a change like I'm not saying it has to be every time and you can apply that to everything as well
0: films yeah films if you're looking for clothes you can seek out Clothes brands that are owned by black people, like, and it's not saying, like, you can't watch your normal TV shows, you can't shop at like the brands that you love, like, it but it's just saying, like, diversify what you're doing a bit, like, make conscious choices to support black people, yeah, when you're faced with those choices.
1: I think, like, like, the biggest thing I hate about that is when you get that pushback of, like, um, say, for example getting told to employ more black people, and then white people get defensive and they go, but what if the white person was a better person for the job? And, like, A, no-one's saying that you shouldn't pick the best person for the job. It's saying make sure you at least get diverse candidates. Yeah. And secondly, if there's two matching people, like, I'd advocate for picking the person who's less likely to get in somewhere else. It goes back to the saying for privileged people equality feels like oppression and it definitely does like I think I think I will I will know people that would say like well that's not fair on white authors or that's not fair on white filmmakers and I'm like it's not about being fair to white people it's equaling the playing fields in creative industries I think like a lot of
0: white people when they do challenge that and they're like oh like but what if the white person's better for the job? I think a lot of that subconsciously comes from...
1: Believing that the white person will be the better for the job. Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: Which is, like, the problem in itself. And then, like, you, you only have to look at employment stats to know that, like, there is a pay gap between white people and black people... When you look around, I mean, every, like, company I've been in, if you look at, like, the very senior people, for the majority of, like, big corporate com- companies, they are always white. Yeah. Or maybe you've got, like, one black person to, like, ten other white people, but it's
1: off. That that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, and I think if you're at least interviewed, because it's, yeah. like, amazing how many um, black people or ethnic minority people don't even make it to the, like, interview stage because they've got... Like a name that implies and that's probably not conscious again on the person who's selecting them but it's like unconscious bias, look at it and say I'm going to reverse that pattern I'm going to ask that person to come in and give them a Mm -hmm. chance.
0: I actually learned something so horrifying from one of my friends because I know you're saying that like it was like an implicit bias sometimes if you look at, like, a name on a CV or something. But one of my friends... I'm not saying this is necessarily, like, universal across all recruitment companies, but this was her personal experience working there. Um, but straight after uni, she went to work at, um, for, for recruitment. And uh, she was told by the senior people in the company... That if she came across a name that was uh, Nigerian, for example, to just skip past the CV. How fucking awful is that?
1: Oh, that I'm very was. pleased to
0: say that she did not stay no in recruitment, and she No one on this company.
1: podcast can see my face right now, but my head is literally in my hands, like... But, like, that... And that happened, like, a matter of, like, what, three years ago or something? Like, but also, like... I... Like... Like, I'm not up to, like, anyone else's, like, employment status. But I wouldn't be f- feel comfortable working in somewhere that's, like, actually holds it. And oh, it's so different because I, I feel like this is the first time people are willing to put their neck on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the best thing about this movement. Like, albeit late and all the rest of it, like, people are actually willing to put their neck on the line. Like, I've had really, really uncomfortable conversations with people that, like, I probably wouldn't... I wouldn't have bothered, like... And it's not from a case that I didn't care before. It was just, like, it didn't feel, like, urgent in the same way that it obviously is now. Yeah.
0: I think in the past I've, like, definitely been guilty of just wanting to avoid confrontation. Like, even when it's just a real, really, like, casual remark from some someone, like, I'll know that it's wrong and I know that I, like, don't agree with it, but I will just stay silent. And I think now that's where, like, the changes come for me, where it's like, I can't do that shit anymore. Like, if someone says something that isn't right or is even casually racist, like, I need to pull people up. Oh, yeah, it. I, I pull need...
1: people up on it all the time. I was with um, my friend's family the other day, like, including their extended family, and one of them said, like, oh, yeah, but racism works both ways. And I was just, like, curling up in a ball because, like... I was like this is so out of my comfort zone like addressing someone else's family to me is like yeah. almost like the pinnacle of like let's just not get involved but I was just like no actually like racism doesn't work both ways because in order to be racist you have to have power over and you can have prejudice about a different race like black people can be prejudiced towards white people and various other ethnicities, but it's not racism because they don't hold the power, that's Mm -hmm. the difference. And like, I actually just said it in that instance because I was just like, I'm not just gonna sit here and like, listen to this ignorance. Yeah, and and good, that's exactly what we should should all be doing.
0: So after we came home from the protest, I uploaded some of the video footage um, of the EDL people that we saw that day. And the post ended up getting a lot of attraction on Facebook and that meant there were loads of comments of people kind of arguing with each other and um, there was a lot of people getting, like, super defensive and shouting each other down. But I think uh, there was also a lot of really productive conversation. Like, there were some people who entered into the conversation with the kind of all-lives-matter view and, oh, they were there to defend the war memorial. But when... I put my point across calmly and from a place of listening to their point of view as well we were actually able to have really like constructive conversation about it and I would like to think that they left the conversation feeling like their perspective had been changed slightly I'm not saying that with one conversation you can literally change like someone's whole worldview, but I think the solution is definitely like calm conversation and listening to other people rather than just, like, pointing at them and calling them the problem.
1: Yeah, I think um, if you, like... I think even if you're to post on social media as well, like, I don't really want to, like, tone police other people, particularly if they're black, but I think for white people, addressing white people...
0: Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I'm talking about, like, white people talking to other white people, just to be clear.
1: I think if white people are going to address white people, we should be doing it in a way that isn't ostracising people that don't agree with us. If they're sort of like, but all lives matter. um And I then you immediately can, call them a dickhead. Like, they're yeah, not going to listen and think, to you. I think, yeah, like, ostracising them, calling them, like, pigs or being, like, horrible people. Like, they're going to tune out of what you have to say before you even started. Mm-hmm. If you say, like, you're a disgusting person and here's why, they're not going to listen. But if you say... I actually think you just don't realise X, Y, and Z, and they might even hold their hands up and say, "I actually didn't know that," or um, whatever, or even if they don't admit it to you, then they might think it later. But I think, um, I think more people than you realise will be willing to open, to, willing to listen. But what annoys me even more so is when, um, for example, when those videos went up of those people, like I had loads of people saying, "Oh." But those people are just like beyond help, and I'm just like, so what? I'm not supposed to like explain to them why what they're doing is wrong. And I just think, like, firstly, I don't think anyone's beyond help. I think I think you like it takes work, but I think you can work on your beliefs like to an incredible degree, even if you're 80 years old, you can still learn new things, um, and like, secondly it just kind of, like, allows them to exist as they are when you say mm-hmm. that, oh, they're beyond help, so we may as well just leave them alone. I'm like, I don't want to leave them alone. Like, I don't I don't believe they're beyond help, and also we shouldn't just accept how they are. But I think another, another thing is, like, it's important to not uh, delude yourself into thinking that everyone feels the same as you do. My Instagram is such a bubble that I was, like, so convinced that, like, most, everyone felt the same way most of the world was reformed and like mm-hmm. everything and it couldn't be further from the truth like was so in-
0: jumping onto facebook i realized the difference like my instagram feed is so different to yeah. my facebook well, I feed i think
1: i think our generation of like instagrammers like millennial instagrammers like i've definitely streamlined my feed so much that it's just like purely people i agree with and stuff mm. whereas on facebook Like, we got Facebook at a time where it was just cool to have, like, a thousand friends. I have thought about removing certain people from my Facebook that don't agree with me. But then at the same time, I'm like, I don't really want everywhere I look to be streamlined.
0: Yeah, and I think also it's important to be having like vocalizing your viewpoint on those platforms because like you said if you're just doing it on instagram then you're just doing it into your own echo chamber and it's not really having any impact but if you post something on facebook where people have different viewpoints to you there might be someone who actually changes their opinion by seeing your post or looks into something yeah. a bit more because I, of your post i feel
1: like instagram is a bit like preaching to the choir yeah but yeah like i think we can have like a real here here for social media during all this which brings us into um, one of the questions that I put to the followers on Instagram, um, which was how much of a role do we feel that um, social media plays in getting justice? And that divided more opinions than the other polls, thankfully. Um, And I I think it's interesting to look at whether or not BLM would have happened... This movement that we're seeing right now would have happened as soon or to the same extent without social media or camera phones and I think um I think while change happens without those things, I think it's like a real accelerant to progress, yeah, definitely,
0: I mean, even just the spread of the footage of George Floyd in the first place like that wouldn't have gained the mass attention that it did if social media wasn't a thing. I think obviously change can happen without social media because we've seen it before with like the Stonewall riots or the civil rights movement but like you said like it speeds up progress so much quicker.
1: On to our art stuff of the week a uh, series that relates really strongly to BLM in general came at like a weirdly good time for them I think as a series it's a season called Little Fires Everywhere available on Amazon Prime and Hey You and it stars Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington and it's basically set in America in the 90s even though it really doesn't feel like the 90s that's probably my biggest criticism of the whole thing but that's a separate topic um but just to briefly say um, it's a really good look at um, implicit bias against black people basically and just America as a whole but it's a really in-depth conversation about racism and motherhood um, and Reese Witherspoon is obviously a white mother um, very wealthy white mother and Kerry Washington plays the role of Mia Warren um, who has a daughter called Pearl and... Um, it starts where they're sleeping in a car overnight and then they go to look at a flat, which is owned by Reese Witherspoon's character. She, they basically say that they can't afford it by a certain basis, so they're going to have to leave it. And then Reese Witherspoon has this sort of like wh- white savorist experience mm. and she's like, oh no, you can stay here for free, which is obviously like amazing. Um, but that begins the topic of race and privilege And it goes throughout and it looks at um, Mia's daughter's relationship with Reese Witherspoon and it looks at Reese Witherspoon's daughter's relationship with Mia. And they've both sort of got children where they kind of see aspects of the other mother as more attractive, which kind of shows that motherhood goes so much beyond um, what resources you have and... Um, what colour your skin is and what your beliefs are and it's so much, motherhood so much more about preference which I thought was a really nice sort of like debate to be having mm-hmm. um, but it addresses race in all sorts of ways including um, how both mothers relate to the police like that comes up quite a few times in it and how they relate to authority in general like a mistrust of authority and, on Mia's part um, and it talks about everything down to like um because it's set in the 90s like up until that point there still wasn't any dolls that had black skin yeah um and it like addresses that um and talks about her children trying to get into harvard and privilege and everything like that so yeah it's just it's just a really interesting and probably the most open discussion i've seen on tv of implicit bias like people who aren't meaning to be racist but are being racist in their actions Um, in their, like, saviourism, in their biases. Like, even though the part that Reese Witherspoon plays is, like, she tries to be sort of like an activist against this stuff, and then at the same time she does a lot of stuff later on in the show that reveals her true beliefs um, that she holds against black people. Yeah, yeah.
0: that sounds so interesting. I think definitely a super topical...
1: What oh yeah like b- bargain for them that this has come out this yeah. time but like also good for them that they were sort of like already on the topic before it was trending yeah. I mean this it was a book before though right yeah it was yeah. a book yeah. Um, yeah. so
0: this week instead of talking about something that I've streamed or I've read I thought I'd give a shout out to some of my favourite black Instagram and YouTube creators, whose content I've been really, really appreciating recently. A lot of the um, creators are kind of activists on social media, but there's also just a couple on here that genuinely make really amazing, like, interesting, fun content as well. Um, But first up, uh, I have Brandon K. Good. I found him literally only a few weeks ago but he does so many amazing videos on various different topics in relation to black lives matter from interracial relationships to tone policing to how to be an effective ally yeah and they're just super informative and great and uh the next one is Janaya the great or Janaya the great um she's i think she's one of the activists that Um, like, founded Black Lives Matter in Toronto, in America, Uh but oh my god, her videos, like, she does these Sunday sermons where she talks for about, like, 45 minutes on a live, and she saves them to her Instagram page afterwards, but I watch those videos, and, like, my mind is blown every time, like, Mm. she is just such a natural storyteller, and, like, she just... So, like she says things that I just wouldn't even thought of like she's incredible so I definitely recommend checking her content out um we've already mentioned Mary Manderfield uh in the podcast already but I just wanted to give her a shout out as well because she's been doing a series on her Instagram uh of things we don't realize are a little bit racist and um yeah I just think she's got amazing energy and um she also does like a bunch of fitness stuff as well so if you're interested in fitness or um meditation definitely give her a follow
1: yeah I've been doing I've done a few of her because obviously we did a her twerk cast class before before all this in person um but then I have done a few of her twerk classes um online at home and she's like a great um resource for like If you're just, like, fucking bored and, like, um... And just need to, like, feel good about yourself. Yeah, yeah, she's really good at, like, mental health stuff and just general feel-good vibes, so follow her for that reason too. Yeah. Um,
0: And then I've got the sunflower written down here. I don't think I need to go over why to follow her too much because I think we bring her up nearly every podcast. But if you're not following her, then rethink your life. Um, I've also... I don't have kids, but I've been following The Conscious Kid and it has, like, tips on how to be, um, like, an anti-racist parent and how to raise your kids so that they're anti-racist. I don't even know if I, like, do want kids, but I just think that's something that's really important and I think it's a really interesting thing to know if you're ever, like, in a situation where you're talking to a child about...
1: Well, yeah, exactly, like... And I think you need to put yourself in a situation where you are talking to a child about it because... um, like a load of white people have issues with teaching their kids about racism because they think it's too heavy but like why is it that's another injustice that like black kids have to know about racism but yeah. white people can choose to hide it from their kids but also that's
0: like the most important stage to be you're learning to about. Learn it because yeah. you're literally absorbing everything when you're younger like probably like a really large majority of like the biases we have now are from when we were soaking that up from a young age so yeah, I think it's super important if you are a parent to be thinking about ways that you can raise your kids so that they are actively anti-racist as well. Um, I also recently found Jade Fox, who's a YouTuber, and she made a really excellent video recently on the racial divide between lesbian YouTubers, which wasn't even a topic I would have thought about, but again, it showed me, like, how racism literally exists
1: everywhere. everywhere. Even in lesbianism. yeah. Um, and that that's, been, that's
0: been another really okay. big topic as well about how racism exists within the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Um, but that's probably like a whole... That could be a whole podcast topic in itself. But yeah, I'm. Um, since watching that video, I've been watching more of her content and her videos are genuinely like really entertaining. Um, and also Leila Saad, um, the author of White Supremacy and Me... Um, I haven't read her book yet, but I have been following her on Instagram and she has been making a few really eye-opening videos as well. Um, She did one where she talked about how the Black Lives Matter movement will not be colonised by white people, and I think that was the first thing that really made me think about how I was perhaps acting in a way that was demonstrating white saviourism. So, yeah, she's a brilliant person to follow and also definitely um order her books it sounds like from your description becky that it's definitely worth reading yeah
1: and i think um i didn't mention this when we were chatting about it but um the one of the best things about the book is it contains like activities at the end of each chapter where you have to sit down with a pen and paper and answer the questions at the back and i think even if like the subject matter of her writing doesn't bring it up naturally for you like she really forces you to like delve into your own beliefs
0: yeah uh, it kind of takes it beyond just reading doesn't yeah. it like you actually have to like
1: actively search within yourself and she calls you out and like don't think about doing this book and not doing the yeah. activities like like work for it basically yeah
0: so that's um definitely Not a kind of like full list of everyone that I follow, but there's just a few suggestions of people you could look up and see if you like their content. But like we said before, seek out content that speaks to you and that you genuinely want to engage with. Don't just follow people mindlessly, um, but make sure that you are putting in the work to diversify your feeds because we soak up so much information from social media that it really is important that we are not just scrolling through hundreds and hundreds of white people when we're on Instagram.
1: Yeah, for sure. You make me laugh, though, because, like, YouTube is not a thing in my realm. Oh, and, like, YouTube has always yeah, been Yeah, you've, you've been realm. so good with YouTube, like... But it's because
0: so much of, like, my early education came from YouTube. Like, I learned... So, Cheska Lee, she's another one that I've kind of, like rediscovered recently but like i learned like all stuff about like cultural appropriation i learned about the black lives matter movement from her like i've literally been watching youtube people for so long and i think that like there is some amazing content on youtube but unfortunately the stuff that gets pushed to the top is like shit like shane dawson who are, I can't even be fucked to get into all that now because
1: I saw I saw your rant on Insta the other day about um like Jeffrey Star, mm-hmm. but like the thing is I don't even know who the fuck Jeffrey Star is, but it's just because like I'm so yeah, yeah. See, out, I'm so out. If you're like into the YouTube world, <laughs> and, like
0: that circle of people like Shane Dawson, Jeffrey Star, I've seen fucking, them, like Trisha Paytas. They are like probably the most viewed people on YouTube, and they are all like so problematic I can't even begin to explain
1: we hope you've enjoyed listening this week um, obviously it was quite a heavy subject matter and we wanted to have a good period of time to sort of digest everything that we were doing with it and continue to do with it but um, it's not a topic that needed to be spoken about now because I'm sure it will be just as relevant to talk about it next year and we could even do a later podcast but I think while it was taking over everyone's minds and had the attention of the world it was worth speaking about now and joining the sort of discussion on it I think
0: it almost felt wrong to do oh yeah and we we couldn't really
1: have justified doing another topic because it just wasn't
0: It wouldn't have sat comfortably
1: talking about something else. It wasn't sat comfortably for the audience, but also it just wasn't in my consciousness. Like, if, as, like, someone who wants to have a chat with a friend, it's just the thing that I'm most concerned about at the minute. Um, But we hope you've enjoyed it anyways and potentially learnt some new stuff, or if not, just enjoyed listening to our debate. We've decided to move the podcast to a monthly because it gives us a bit more time to digest each of each of our topics and thanks for everyone who got involved in the polls um like i said they were pretty much how i expected them to be but i think that is a lot to do with the work that's already been done in the last month or so online um i think if i'd asked some of my friends some of those questions it wouldn't have been so clear cut before and now everyone's much better informed which is amazing um and hopefully we continue to see the progress that we're getting yeah See you next time!
0: (laughs) You've been listening to Doing Quarter Live podcast with Amy McMillan
1: and Becky Ward, where we talk about doing your 20s in the 2020s. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh. Oh.